Chapter three. On their second day in the forge, they moved from the hotel into the rented house. The first thing they did was hang curtains so no one would be able to see inside. Then Papo went off to the lumberyard, leaving Hannah to unpack. Only a few minutes after he'd left, she heard the thump, what sounded like dozens of feet on the board sidewalk. She hurried to the window and twitched the curtain back just enough to see. Five young boys were running and calling out to see one another. They turned the corner and went down 2nd Street. Behind them, three little girls followed, more sedately. Those children all headed in the same direction. First thing in the morning, they had to be going to school. Hannah had never been to school. She had learned her letters and numbers from Mama. And then when she'd had lessons, she had those with Miss Lorna. When she and Papa left Los Angeles, Miss Lorna had given her a whole set of readers, a grammar, speller, arithmetic. Hannah had worked her way through all of them diligently, but she had no one to teach her. And Mama had always wanted her to go to school. My smart girl, finish school and get your diploma. Studying trains your mind, makes it stronger. Hannah stomped into the kitchen. She cleaned up the breakfast dishes and put a kettle of water on the stove to heat. Once the water was hot, she dumped it into the tin dishpan so she could clean the floor. She swept and scrubbed, feeling more determined by the moment. Papa came in for the noon meal, took one look at her face and said, whatever it is, you wait until after we've eaten. I'll not have you spoiling my appetite. They chewed their beans and biscuit in silence. As they ate, she felt the heat of her agitation cooling into something steadier and more solid. A tree stump. No, a rock. A big boulder that takes a yoke of oxen to move. Her thoughts were running away a little. She got up to fetch the tea kettle and poured two cups. Papa stirred in a spoon of sugar and took a sip. Good biscuit, he said. Thank you. Pause. There's school here. He gulped his tea. You don't say. Papa, what do you need to go to school for? You can read and write and figure. You'll never need more than that. I want to graduate. Nothing but a piece of paper. I didn't graduate. Hasn't hurt me any. It won't take long. I finished the sixth reader. One term, maybe two, that's all. Hannah, we can't have any attention called to us, he snapped. You're going to school could make, could possibly cause a ruckus. That's the last thing we need. A moment's silence. Mr. Harris, she said. Harris, what's he got to do with anything? If he is justice of the peace, doesn't that mean, couldn't he stop any trouble? That's what I'm talking about. You cause trouble and will never be able to make a success in this town. You know that. Papa was shouting now. She figured that she had one last chance before he stopped listening altogether. Mama wanted me to graduate. She held her breath. Sometimes mentioning Mama helped, but not always. Papa had often clashed with Mama, even toward the end, when she could speak only a few words between snatched breaths. Hannah had inherited a good bit of Mama's stubbornness, as well as her straight black hair, tan skin, dark, curved eyes. He stared down into his teacup. She wanted a lot of things, he mumbled. Things she could never have. This one I can still do for her. At last he looked up, glaring. Funny you should mention Harris, he said. Turns out he's on the school board as well, so he's one I'll have to speak to. But I'm not making any promises, do you hear? Yes, thank you, Papa. She fetched the kettle and freshened his tea. Hannah realized too late that she hadn't gotten Papa to promise when he would speak to Mr. Harris. She wanted to start school right away. But by the end of the week, no more had been said about it. A dozen times she'd had to bite her tongue to keep from asking. 
She knew that if he felt she was nagging, he might change his mind about the whole thing. He's been busy, she told herself again. He was, he was spending his days at the depot, the lumberyard, the hardware store, buying and ordering and hauling supplies for the building of the shop. Hannah was busy as well. A pile of clothes to be mended waited on one chair with an even bigger pile of laundry on the other. At her request, Papa had brought her lengths of muslin from one of the dry goods stores to make bed linens. She couldn't wait to sleep in clean new sheets after so many grubby nights in the wagon. All that had to wait, though. First, she needed to sift the flour <clears throat> and the cornmeal. She found the box that held the sifter, a ring of tin with a mesh button, and brought out the flour sack. A few cupfuls at a time, she poured flour into the sifter and shook it over her largest cooking pot. The flour fell through the mesh, leaving behind an assortment of wevels, pantry moths, and flour worms. After she finished, she went outside to empty the sift by flinging the insects into the yard. Gross. <laughs> the sift, sift flour went into a big crock with a good tight lid. No pests could get into the flour when it was in the crock. It would stay free of bugs, provided that she made sure it held only clean flour. It took a while to sift the flour. Then Hannah had to repeat the whole process with a bag of cornmeal. For a brief moment, as she shook the sift, she wondered how she would ever get all the work done once she was in school. It was hard enough when she had the whole day. Before she was sick, Mama used to work in the shop all day, and she had still kept house. Their Los Angeles home hadn't been perfect, but they'd always had hot food and clean clothes, and that was more than plenty. Hannah was determined to do the same. She sat up very straight, hands folded in her lap, feet drawn in beneath her skirt. Any moment now, Mr. Harris would be calling. I've already talked to him some, Papa said that morning. I mentioned that Mama was Chinese. What did he say? Papa shrugged. Not much. Something like, well, now I wasn't expecting that. Hannah felt her spirits lift a little and immediately tamped them down. It wasn't a nasty response, but then again, it could mean almost anything. She had spent the day wondering what she should say to Mr. Harris, rehearsing different lines in her head. In a moment of panic, she had fetched her arithmetic book to go over the decibels. Maybe he would ask her questions about her grade levels and arithmetic was her weakest subject. But after a few minutes, she put the book away. If she didn't know it well by now, she was not gonna be able to learn it in one afternoon. She tidied up quickly after supper, took off her apron and readied her braid. And then she sat in the chair next to the lamp table and coaxed herself into stillness. Mama had taught her that, how to sit still and breathe deeply when she was feeling especially twitchy or distressed. All the same, she jumped when a knock sounded at the door. Mr. Harris came in and took off his hat. He had a full brown beard and very blue eyes. He greeted Papa with a handshake and the two men sat down opposite her. She sensed Mr. Harris's response on seeing her for the first time. The quick glance, even quicker look away, unspoken curiosity clouding the air. Hannah hadn't made up her mind if this was better or worse than when people just plain stared at her. Would you like some coffee or tea, Mr. Harris? Hannah asked. Her voice trembled a little, but she managed to steady it. No, thank you, he said. Again, Hannah recognized the kind of astonishment she'd perceived before in so many other people. She speaks. She speaks English. She speaks English politely. But already she could see what Papa had meant when he called Mr. Harris a fair man. Mr. Harris had answered her as if she were anyone else, keeping his surprise silent. That was far more than most people managed. Some busted out with something rude or hurtful or even hateful. 
Most others spoke to Papa as if she weren't even there. Papa and Mr. Harris chatted for a few more minutes. Hannah learned that the Harrises had a son named James who had moved to Oregon the previous fall. I wanted to go too, Mr. Harris said, but I promised Sarah Lynn that this would be our last move. So we stayed and James went on with my brother's family. Heard it's pretty country out there, Papa said. Not settled up yet though. And Sarah Lynn wanted the girls to go to school. Speaking of school, he looked at Hannah, then back at Papa. I've been thinking on this. Edmonds, you're already contributing, contributing to the local economy, and you don't seem the type to skip out on your tax bill. Papa grinned. That'll depend on how big it is, he said, and the men laughed together. Hannah smiled, silently wishing they would get on with the conversation. Then Mr. Harris grew serious. The way I see it, any child under the age of 21, resident in the town of LaForge, has the right to attend school here. I'll tell Miss Wal Walters to expect a new student on Monday. Pause. Thing is, we don't want any trouble. The school needs to run smoothly, and if anything gets in the way of that, Miss Walters will be the one making the decisions. That's fair enough, Papa said. No, Hannah thought at once. It's not fair. Even if I do everything right, I've got no say over what the other students might do. Any questions, Mr. Harris asked? She looked down at her hands in her lap for a long moment, then raised her, her head. I've been lucky enough to go to school before, Mr. Harris, she said. So I'm sorry I don't know this already. Are students allowed to keep their hats on in the schoolroom? Chapter four. The schoolhouse stood by itself in an empty stretch of prairie, the only building on Second Street west of Maine. From afar, it looked as if it were barely afloat on the expanse of rolling grassland. As Hannah drew nearer, she could see the lean-to tacked to the north wall, a miniature of the structure itself its peaked roof copying the angle of the main roof. Hannah hesitated at the schoolhouse door, her head lowered. She stared at the weave of her blue cambric dress. The fabric was sturdy, made for every day, for she had added rows of feather stitching to the cuffs and the hem. Not showy, but not plain either. She'd been up most of the night, dozing off for a few moments at a time, always waking up with her heart pounding. At long last, she was getting the chance to go to school, and she found herself dreading it. Images from her younger years appeared in her mind's eye. Children taunting her, shouting in fake Chinese, pulling at the corners of their eyes to mock her. The few who spoke to her did only on a dare. When she answered, they would screech in triumph and run back to their friends. Their mothers were seldom better, often worse. On spotting Hannah, they would cross the street hastily, sometimes covering their mouths as if she were diseased. Or, they would pull their smaller children behind their skirts, protecting them. From what? Hannah always wondered. As she stood on the threshold of the schoolhouse, it was hard for her to recall why she had wanted so badly to be here. I could turn around and go home. Maybe Pop was right about a diploma just being a piece of paper, she thought. Then Mama was in her head again, showing her how to weave the needle in and out of the last few stitches on the wrong side of a garment, pulling the thread through to ensure that the seam would not come unstitched. Finish, Mama had said. Good work is no good if you don't finish. A diploma was more than a piece of paper. It was proof that she had finished her high school studies. A big breath. One arm wrapped tightly around her books and her face far back in a deep scoop bonnet. She turned the doorknob. Hannah had deliberately arrived early. She wanted to be seated before the other students came in. The teacher, a fair young woman with light brown hair twisted into a knot, low in the nape of her neck, was sitting behind a big desk across the room. 
You must be Hannah Ed Edmonds, the teacher said. She didn't smile, but her voice was kind. I'm Miss Walters. I was told you were 14, which would put you in the class with the oldest pupils. Have you started the fifth reader? Yes, miss. In fact, Hannah already finished the sixth reader. She remembered the first time she had come across the poem titled To My Mother. Her breath had caught hard enough to make her cough. Although Hannah knew well there were plenty of people who had lost their mothers, it had still stunned her to find a poem about a mother dying. It was as if the poet had seen right into her heart and the poem immediately became her favorite. She thought of it as Mama's poem. But she didn't want to sound boastful about having already read the sixth reader and besides she loved the fifth. Your desk is on the back there. On the left, you'll be sharing with Dolly Swinson. Thank you, miss. Hannah made her way back to the desk. She sat down, put her books away and took out her reader. She bent over the book, the sides of the scoop bonnet kept her face all but hidden. Miss Harris said that pupils usually took off their caps and bonnets, but that was not actually a rule. He had agreed to tell Miss Walters that Hannah would wear her bonnet at school. The fact that she was half Chinese would be kept from the other students until Hannah was ready for them to know. Just for a few days, Hannah had said to Mr. Harris, until I can make a friend, just one friend. Then she would take off her bonnet. Miss Walters rang the bell, and for a few moments, the room was filled with a lively chatter of the other pupils. Hannah's seatmate slid in next to her. Hannah hated to be rude, but she didn't acknowledge the other girl's presence. It wasn't until Miss Walters called school to order that she risked a peek at Dolly. Dolly was a strawberry blonde with skin as pale as bleached muslin. Hannah thought of what Mama had often said about pale skin, that it was considered desirable among Chinese people because it meant a life of privilege. You don't have to work outside in sun and wind. Only rich people, treasured wife, treasured daughter. With that single glance, Hannah also appraised that Dolly was wearing a dress of fine brown poplin that fit her nicely. But Hannah's practiced eyes saw traces of picked out seams along the bodice, which meant that Dolly's dress had originally been a different size and had been made over for her. She doesn't work outside in the fields. Her family doesn't have enough money for new clothes, but she wants to dress nicely. So someone, her mother probably, does the best she can with cast-offs, Hannah thought to herself. For most of her life, Hannah had made quick conclusions about people she met in an effort to guess how they might treat her. The trick was to keep her own conclusions light, never giving them too much weight in case it turned out they were just plain wrong. Is Dolly spoiled? She thought, maybe. The morning went by quickly enough. The teacher was tactful and did not call on Hannah to read or respond on her first day. Miss Walters was a small woman. The oldest boys were tall, were taller than she was. Her hair was styled with curled bangs. Her dress was blue chalice with a lace collar and cuffs, very demure and proper. With one subtle exception, the bodice was buttoned with dark blue rondels made of sparkling cut glass. Hannah knew that those buttons were costly. The button box held similar ones. She could picture the compartment a third of the way down on the right-hand side. Miss Walters, she chooses them for her own pleasure. They're not too showy, but whatever she wants, she, whenever she wants, she can look down and see them catch the light. Somehow, Miss Walters reminded her a little of Mama because Hannah wanted badly to see reminders of Mama and so seldom did. At midday, most of the students went home for their noon meal. Hannah had brought her dinner pail because she did not want to walk through town with the other pupils on the way home to eat. 
Two of the 20 children stayed and ate at their desks. Hannah guessed that they had lived outside of town in a homestead claim. Like the other towns in Dakota Territory, LaForge was surrounded by parcels of land, each 160 acres. People, usually men, would claim a parcel by filling in their intentions with the government and paying $18. They had to farm the land and live on it half the year for five years, after which they had proved their claim and would own the land. Hannah recalled the words of a popular folk song, Uncle Sam was rich enough to give us all a farm. Then she thought of the Indians she had met and wondered, as she, as she often had before, why Uncle Sam was allowed to give away land that wasn't his in the first place. Even though only two children remained at their desks for lunch, Hannah guessed that many of the other students lived on homestead claims as well. They would be staying in town for now to go to school and would move out to their claims when the term was finished. As the hour came to an end, the older girls returned and gathered in their schoolroom. Having heard them recite their lessons earlier, Hannah now knew the names of the students in her class. Besides Dolly, the girls were Bess, Margaret, and Edith. Bess's last name was Harris, so she would be Mr. Harris's daughter. The boys were Albert, Ned, and Sam. Hannah guessed that Margaret and Albert were siblings. They looked so much alike. Bess and Ned were the best students. Edith, Edith smiled the most. Hannah said something else too. The other girls don't like Dolly. Bess, Mar Bess, Margaret, and Edith stood in a cluster at the window, watching the boys play ball outside, with Dolly standing a step apart. Hannah stayed at her desk, her reader open in front of her. Although she wasn't reading, she was thinking. The girls might not like Dolly because she's spoiled, so I could be right about that. Or she could be perfectly nice, and they're mean to her for some other reason that might not be her fault. It seemed to Hannah that there were always a hundred reasons for disliking people, and not nearly as many for liking them. For the moment, it was looking as if Dolly might be her best chance at a friend. That afternoon, Miss Walters chose a few of the older students to read aloud from the fifth reader. Hannah stared down at her book, following every word. Dolly and Ned took their turns. Then the teacher called on Bess. Bess had brown hair, braided and coiled at the back of her head. From the size of the coil, Hannah could tell that when unbraided, Bess's hair would fall to, at least to her hips. She was the shortest of the big girls, sturdily built, with a round face and chin and a chin dimple. She chose a poem called Mignot's Ledge, about a lighthouse keeper and the shipwreck of his son's boat. Like spir spectral hounds across the sky, the white clouds scud before the storm, and naked in the hollowing night, the red-eyed lighthouse lifts its form. Bess read beautifully, her voice rising and falling like the sea's waves. There was not a sound in the room as she reached the closing stanza. Young Charlie with the chestnut hair and hazel eyes, would he survive the storm? The other pupils had abandoned any pretense of attending their own studies. They were all staring wide-eyed at Bess. When she finished reading, the whole room seemed to heave a sigh. Hannah stole a quick glance at Miss Walters, who seemed to be trying not to smile. She knows that everyone's listening, Hannah thought, but that's what she wanted. Nicely done, Bess, Miss Walter said. Hannah saw Bess blink a few times, almost as if waking, then blush at the teacher's praise and lower her head a little. Why, she's a bit, bit shy, but not while she was reading. Sam was next. Although he was not much taller than the other students, he looked to be the oldest in the class, with wide shoulders and a firm brow. He was blonde and brown-eyed, his face tanned and hair bleached by the sun. He had a very quick smile that might have been called cheeky. 
if it weren't for, for him looking so friendly. The blind men and the elephant, he announced. Sam had chosen one of Hannah's favorite selections from the reader, a funny poem about six blind men and their mistaken assumptions about an elephant. By the third stanza, most of the pupils were hiding their giggles behind their hands. By the fifth, many were chuckling out loud. Hush now, Miss Walter said. Her voice was stern, but she had that same smile behind her eyes. Everyone quieted down to listen to Sam recite the last verse. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each of his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. Hannah couldn't help but smile as the whole room burst into applause and laughter. Sam was not the least bit shy. He grinned and made an exaggerated bow. Sam, Miss Walter said, you read very well, but please remember that modesty is always becoming. Yes, teacher, Sam said. You may return to your seat. As Sam passed Hannah's desk, he was still smiling. Is he smiling at me? She thought. Alarmed, she tried to draw back deeper into her bonnet. She did not want to be singled out. Not even by a nice looking boy with a friendly smile. Chapter three. On their second day in the forge, they moved from the hotel into the rented house. The first thing they did was hang curtains so no one would be able to see inside. Then Papo went off to the lumber yard, leaving Hannah to unpack. Only a few minutes after he'd left, she heard the thump, what sounded like dozens of feet on the board sidewalk. She hurried to the window and twitched the curtain back just enough to see. Five young boys were running and calling out to see one another. They turned the corner and went down 2nd Street. Behind them, three little girls followed, more sedately. Those children all headed in the same direction. First thing in the morning, they had to be going to school. Hannah had never been to school. She had learned her letters and numbers from Mama. And then when she'd had lessons, she had those with Miss Lorna. When she and Papa left Los Angeles, Miss Lorna had given her a whole set of readers, a grammar, speller, arithmetic. Hannah had worked her way through all of them diligently but she'd had no one to teach her. And mama had always wanted her to go to school. My smart girl, finish school and get your diploma. Studying trains your mind, makes it stronger. Hannah stomped into the kitchen. She cleaned up the breakfast dishes and put a kettle of water on the stove to heat. Once the water was hot, she dumped it into the tin dish pan so she could clean the floor. She swept and scrubbed, feeling more determined by the moment. Papa came in for the noon meal took one look at her face and said, whatever it is, you wait until after we've eaten. I'll not have you spoiling my appetite. They chewed their beans and biscuit in silence. As they ate, she felt the heat of her agitation cooling into something steadier and more solid, a tree stump, no, a rock, a big boulder that takes a yoke of oxen to move. Her thoughts were running away a little. She got up to fetch the tea kettle and poured two cups. Papa stirred in a spoon of sugar and took a sip. Good biscuit, he said. Thank you. Pause. There's school here. He gulped his tea. You don't say. Papa, what do you need to go to school for? You can read and write and figure. You'll never need more than that. I want to graduate. Nothing but a piece of paper. I didn't graduate. Hasn't hurt me any. It won't take long. I finished the sixth reader. One term, maybe two. That's all. Hannah, we can't have any attention called to us, he snapped. You're going to school can make could possibly cause a ruckus. That's the last thing we need. A moment's silence. Mr. Harris, she said. Harris, what's he got to do with anything? If he is justice of the peace, 
Doesn't that mean, couldn't he stop any trouble? That's what I'm talking about. You cause trouble and will never be able to make a success in this town. You know that. Papa was shouting now. She figured that she had one last chance before he stopped listening altogether. Mama wanted me to graduate. She held her breath. Sometimes mentioning Mama helped, but not always. Papa had often clashed with Mama, even toward the end, when she could speak only a few words between snatched breaths. Hannah had inherited a good bit of Mama's stubbornness, as well as her straight black hair, tan skin, dark curved eyes. He stared down into his teacup. She wanted a lot of things, he mumbled. Things she could never have. This one I can still do for her. At last he looked up, glaring. Funny you should mention Harris, he said. Turns out he's on the school board as well, so he's one I'll have to speak to. But I'm not making any promises, do you hear? Yes, thank you, Papa. She fetched the kettle and freshened his tea. Hannah realized too late that she hadn't gotten Papa to promise when he would speak to Mr. Harris. She wanted to start school right away. But by the end of the week, no more had been said about it. A dozen times she'd had to bite her tongue to keep from asking. She knew that if he felt she was nagging, he might change his mind about the whole thing. He's been busy, she told herself again. He was, he was spending his days at the depot, the lumberyard, the hardware store, buying and ordering and hauling supplies for the building of the shop. Hannah was busy as well. A pile of clothes to be mended waited on one chair with an even bigger pile of laundry on the other. At her request, Papa had brought her lengths of muslin from one of the dry goods stores to make bed linens. She couldn't wait to sleep in clean new sheets after so many grubby nights in the wagon. All that had to wait, though. First, she needed to sieve, sift the flour <clears throat> and the cornmeal. She found the box that held the sifter, a ring of tin with a mesh button, and brought out the flour sack. A few cupfuls at a time, she poured flour into the sifter and shook it over her largest cooking pot. The flour fell through the mesh, leaving behind an assortment of wevels, pantry moths, and flour worms. After she finished, she went outside to empty the sieve by flinging the insects into the yard. Gross. <laughs> the sieve sift flour went into a big crock with a good tight lid. No pests could get into the flour when it was in the crock. It would stay free of bugs, provided that she made sure it held only clean flour. It took a while to sift the flour. Then Hannah had to repeat the whole process with a bag of cornmeal. For a brief moment, as she shook the sift, she wondered how she would ever get all the work done once she was in school. It was hard enough when she had the whole day. Before she was sick, Mama used to work in the shop all day, and she had still kept house. Their Los Angeles home hadn't been perfect, but they'd always had hot food and clean clothes, and that was more than plenty. Hannah was determined to do the same. She sat up very straight, hands folded in her lap, feet drawn in beneath her skirt. Any moment now, Mr. Harris would be calling. I've already talked to him some, Papa said that morning. I mentioned that Mama was Chinese. What did he say? Papa shrugged. Not much. Something like, well, now I wasn't expecting that. Hannah felt her spirits lift a little and immediately tamped them down. It wasn't a nasty response, but then again, it could mean almost anything. She had spent the day wondering what she should say to Mr. Harris, rehearsing different lines in her head. In a moment of panic, she had fetched her arithmetic book to go over the decimals. Maybe he would ask her questions about her grade levels and arithmetic was her weakest subject. But after a few minutes, she put the book away. If she didn't know it well by now, she was not gonna be able to learn it in one afternoon. She tidied up quickly after supper, 
took off her apron and readied her braid. Then she sat in the chair next to the lamp table and coaxed herself into stillness. Mama had taught her that, how to sit still and breathe deeply when she was feeling especially twitchy or distressed. All the same, she jumped when a knock sounded at the door. Mr. Harris came in and took off his hat. He had a full brown beard and very blue eyes. He greeted Papa with a handshake and the two men sat down opposite her. She sensed Mr. Harris's response on seeing her for the first time. The quick glance, even quicker look away, unspoken curiosity clouding the air. Hannah hadn't made up her mind if this was better or worse than when people just plain stared at her. Would you like some coffee or tea, Mr. Harris? Hannah asked. Her voice trembled a little, but she managed to steady it. No, thank you, he said. Again, Hannah recognized the kind of astonishment she perceived before in so many other people. She speaks. She speaks English. She speaks English politely. But already she could see what Papa had meant when he called Mr. Harris a fair man. Mr. Harris had answered her as if she were anyone else, keeping his surprise silent. That was far more than most people managed. Some busted out with something rude or hurtful or even hateful. Most others spoke to Papa as if she weren't even there. Papa and Mr. Harris chatted for a few more minutes. Hannah learned that the Harrises had a son named James who had moved to Oregon the previous fall. I wanted to go too, Mr. Harris said, but I promised Sarah Lynn that this would be our last move. So we stayed and James went on with my brother's family. Heard it's pretty country out there, Papa said. Not settled up yet though. And Sarah Lynn wanted the girls to go to school. Speaking of school, he looked at Hannah, then back at Papa. I've been thinking on this. Edmonds, you're already contributing, contributing to the local economy and you don't seem the type to skip out on your tax bill. Papa grinned. That'll depend on how big it is, he said, and the men laughed together. Hannah smiled, silently wishing they would get on with the conversation. Then Mr. Harris grew serious. The way I see it, any child under the age of 21, resident in the town of LaForge, has the right to attend school here. I'll tell Miss Wat Walters to expect a new student on Monday. Pause. Thing is, we don't want any trouble. The school needs to run smoothly, and if anything gets in the way of that, Miss Walters will be the one making the decisions. That's fair enough, Papa said. No, Hannah thought at once. It's not fair. Even if I do everything right, I've got no say over what the other students might do. Any questions, Mr. Harris asked. She looked down at her hands and her lap for a long moment, then raised her, her head. I've been lucky enough to go to school before, Mr. Harris, she said. So I'm sorry I don't know this already. Are students allowed to keep their hats on in the schoolroom? Chapter four, the schoolhouse stood by itself in an empty stretch of prairie, the only building on Second Street west of Maine. From afar, it looked as if it were barely afloat on the expanse of rolling grassland. As Hannah drew nearer, she could see the lean-to tacked to the north wall, a miniature of the structure itself, its peaked roof copying the angle of the main roof. Hannah hesitated at the schoolhouse door, her head lowered. She stared at the weave of her blue cambric dress. The fabric was sturdy, made for every day, but she had added rows of feather stitching to the cuffs and the hem. Not showy, but not plain either. She'd been up most of the night, dozing off for a few moments at a time, always waking up with her heart pounding. At long last, she was getting the chance to go to school, and she found herself dreading it. Images from her younger years appeared in her mind's eye, children taunting her, shouting in fake Chinese, pulling at the corners of their eyes to mock her. The few who spoke to her did only on a dare. 
When she answered, they would screech in triumph and run back to their friends. Their mothers were seldom better, often worse. On spotting Hannah, they would cross the street hastily, sometimes covering their mouths as if she were diseased. Or they would pull their smaller children behind their skirts, protecting them. From what? Hannah always wondered. As she stood on the threshold of the schoolhouse, it was hard for her to recall why she had wanted so badly to be here. I could turn around and go home. Maybe Pop was right about a diploma just being a piece of paper, she thought. Then Mama was in her head again, showing her how to weave the needle in and out of the last few stitches on the wrong side of a garment, pulling the thread through to ensure that the seam would not come unstitched. Finish, Mama had said. Good work is no good if you don't finish. A diploma was more than a piece of paper. It was proof that she had finished her high school studies. A big breath. One arm wrapped tightly around her books and her face far back in a deep scoop bonnet. She turned the doorknob. Hannah had deliberately arrived early. She wanted to be seated before the other students came in. The teacher, a fair young woman with light brown hair twisted into a knot low in the nape of her neck, was sitting behind a big desk across the room. You must be Hannah Ed Edmonds, the teacher said. She didn't smile, but her voice was kind. I'm Miss Walters. I was told you were 14, which would put you in the class with the oldest pupils. Have you started the fifth reader? Yes, miss. In fact, Hannah already finished the sixth reader. She remembered the first time she had come across the poem titled To My Mother. Her breath had caught hard enough to make her cough. Although Hannah knew well there were plenty of people who had lost their mothers, it had still stunned her to find a poem about a mother dying. It was as if the poet had seen right into her heart, and the poem immediately became her favorite. She thought of it as Mama's poem. But she didn't want to sound boastful about having already read the sixth reader, and besides, she loved the fifth. Your desk is on the back there. On the left, you'll be sharing with Dolly Swinson. Thank you, miss. Hannah made her way back to the desk. She sat down, put her books away, and took out her reader. She bent over the book. The sides of the scoop bonnet kept her face all but hidden. Miss Harris said that pupils usually took off their caps and bonnets, but that was not actually a rule. He had agreed to tell Miss Walters that Hannah would wear her bonnet at school. The fact that she was half Chinese would be kept from the other students until Hannah was ready for them to know. Just for a few days, Hannah had said to Mr. Harris, until I can make a friend, just one friend. Then she would take off her bonnet. Miss Walters rang the bell, and for a few moments, the room was filled with a lively chatter of the other pupils. Hannah's seatmate slid in next to her. Hannah hated to be rude, but she didn't acknowledge the other girl's presence. It wasn't until Miss Walters called school to order that she risked a peek at Dolly. Dolly was a strawberry blonde with skin as pale as bleached muslin. Hannah thought of what Mama had often said about pale skin, that it was considered desirable among Chinese people because it meant a life of privilege. You don't have to work outside in sun and wind. Only rich people, treasured wife, treasured daughter. With that single glance, Hannah also appraised that Dolly was wearing a dress of fine brown poplin that fit her nicely. But Hannah's practiced eye saw traces of picked out seams along the bodice, which meant that Dolly's dress had originally been a different size and had been made over for her. She doesn't work outside in the fields. Her family doesn't have enough money for new clothes, but she wants to dress nicely. So someone, her mother probably, does the best she can with cast-offs, Hannah thought to herself. For most of her life, Hannah had made quick conclusions about people she met in an effort to guess how they might treat her. 
The trick was to keep her own conclusions light, never giving them too much weight in case it turned out they were just plain wrong. Is Dolly spoiled? She thought, maybe. The morning went by quickly enough. The teacher was tactful and did not call on Hannah to read or respond on her first day. Miss Walters was a small woman. The oldest boys were tall, were taller than she was. Her hair was styled with curled bangs. Her dress was blue chalice with a lace collar and cuffs, very demure and proper. With one subtle exception, the bodice was buttoned with dark blue rondels made of sparkling cut glass. Hannah knew that those buttons were costly. The button box held similar ones. She could picture the compartment a third of the way down on the right-hand side. Miss Walters, she chooses them for her own pleasure. They're not too showy, but whatever she wants, she, whenever she wants, she can look down and see them catch the light. Somehow, Miss Walters reminded her a little of Mama because Hannah wanted badly to see reminders of Mama and so seldom did. At midday, most of the students went home for their noon meal. Hannah had brought her dinner pail because she did not want to walk through town with the other pupils on the way home to eat. Two of the 20 children stayed and ate at their desks. Hannah guessed that they had lived outside of town in a homestead claim. Like the other towns in Dakota Territory, LaForge was surrounded by parcels of land, each 160 acres. People, usually men, would claim a parcel by filling in their intentions with the government and paying $18. They had to farm the land and live on it half the year for five years, after which they had proved their claim and would own the land. Hannah recalled the words of a popular folk song, Uncle Sam is rich enough to give us all a farm. Then she thought of the Indians she had met and wondered, as, that she, as she often had before, why Uncle Sam was allowed to give away land that wasn't his in the first place. Even though only two children remained at their desks for lunch, Hannah guessed that many of the other students lived on homestead claims as well. They would be staying in town for now to go to school and would move out to their claims when the term was finished. As the hour came to an end, the older girls returned and gathered in their schoolroom. Having heard them recite their lessons earlier, Hannah now knew the names of the students in her class. Besides Dolly, the girls were Bess, Margaret, and Edith. Bess's last name was Harris, so she would be Mr. Harris's daughter. The boys were Albert, Ned, and Sam. Hannah guessed that Margaret and Albert were siblings. They looked so much alike. Bess and Ned were the best students. Edith's, Edith smiled the most. Hannah said something else too. The other girls don't like Dolly. Bess, Mar Bess, Margaret, and Edith stood in a cluster at the window, watching the boys play ball outside, with Dolly standing a step apart. Hannah stayed at her desk, her reader open in front of her. Although she wasn't reading, she was thinking. The girls might not like Dolly because she's spoiled, so I could be right about that. Or she could be perfectly nice, and they're mean to her for some other reason that might not be her fault. It seemed to Hannah that there were always a hundred reasons for disliking people, and not nearly as many for liking them. For the moment, it was looking as if Dolly might be her best chance at a friend. That afternoon, Miss Walters chose a few of the older students to read aloud from the fifth reader. Hannah stared down at her book, following every word. Dolly and Ned took their turns. Then the teacher called on Bess. Bess had brown hair braided and coiled at the back of her head. From the size of the coil, Hannah could tell that when unbraided, Bess' hair would fall to, at least to her hips. She was the shortest of the big girls, sturdily built, with a round face and chin and a chin dimple. She chose a poem called Mignot's Ledge, about a lighthouse keeper and the shipwreck of his son's boat. 
Like spectral hounds across the sky, the white clouds scud before the storm, and naked in the hollowing night, the red-eyed lighthouse lifts its form. Bess read beautifully, her voice rising and falling like the sea's waves. There was not a sound in the room as she reached the closing stanza. Young Charlie with the chestnut hair and hazel eyes, would he survive the storm? The other pupils had abandoned any pretense of attending their own studies. They were all staring wide-eyed at Bess. When she finished reading, the whole room seemed to heave a sigh. Hannah stole a quick glance at Miss Walters, who seemed to be trying not to smile. She knows that everyone's listening, Hannah thought, but that's what she wanted. Nicely done, Bess, Miss Walters said. Hannah saw Bess blink a few times, almost as if waking, then blush at the teacher's praise and lower her head a little. Why, she's a bit, bit shy, but not while she was reading. Sam was next. Although he was not much taller than the other students, he looked to be the oldest in the class, with wide shoulders and a firm brow. He was blonde and brown-eyed, his face tanned and hair bleached by the sun. He had a very quick smile that might have been called cheeky if it weren't for, for him looking so friendly. The blind men and the elephant, he announced. Sam had chosen one of Hannah's favorite selections from the reader, a funny poem about six blind men and their mistaken assumptions about an elephant. By the third stanza, most of the pupils were hiding their giggles behind their hands. By the fifth, many were chuckling out loud. Hush now, Miss Walter said. Her voice was stern, but she had that same smile behind her eyes. Everyone quieted down to listen to Sam recite the last verse. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each of his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. Hannah couldn't help but smile at, as the whole room burst into applause and laughter. Sam was not the least bit shy. He grinned and made an exaggerated bow. Sam, Miss Walter said, you read very well, but please remember that modesty is always becoming. Yes, teacher, Sam said. You may return to your seat. As Sam passed Hannah's desk, he was still smiling. Is he smiling at me, she thought. Alarmed, she tried to draw back deeper into her bonnet. She did not want to be singled out. Not even by a nice looking boy with a friendly smile.